From the campus of Harvard Medical School, this is Think Research, a podcast devoted to the stories behind clinical research. I'm Abby. And I'm Brendan, and we're your hosts. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. And by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. familiar with the necessity of blood drives and donation to combat national shortages of platelets and other blood products. During natural disaster, donor volunteers just aren't reliable sources when platelet inventory decreases. A component of the blood, platelets are crucial for clotting wounds and delivering materials throughout the body. Unlike other blood components like plasma or red blood cells, platelets have a very short shelf life. Dealing with shortages of an already sparse commodity, Jonathan Thon and his team at Platelet Biogenesis have developed a bioreactor to produce human platelets outside of the body. Jonathan Thon is a lecturer at Harvard Medical School and co-founder and chief executive officer of Platelet Biogenesis in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Dr. Thon, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you. Uh, So you're the co-founder of Platelet Biogenesis. Could you tell us what your company does? Absolutely. Uh, Platelet Biogenesis makes platelets to treat patients who need platelet transfusions. These are mostly patients undergoing cancer treatment or surgery. We also use platelets as weapons to fight cancer. Uh, Platelet Biogenesis is really a vibrant three-year-old startup. We're about 23 people now. Uh, We're located in Cambridge, close to MIT in Kendall Square. And we're funded by a mix of government grants and venture funds. So we're growing pretty rapidly. and we're, we're expecting to start first human clinical trials in about 2021. Okay. Um, so you, you engineer platelets um, for a variety of uses. When did you see a need for what platelet biogenesis does? Well, it actually began when I was doing my graduate studies at the University of British Columbia in Canada. Uh, I'm originally Canadian. And during my PhD, I was working with Canadian Blood Services, which is Canada's equivalent to the American Red Cross. Uh, There, I saw how frequent platelet shortages affect millions of people. Again, mostly patients receiving cancer treatment or surgery treatment. And the the reason really is, well, there's two major reasons. One is that there are never enough platelets to, um, to support the work that these patients need. Hospitals, companies, cancer centers, the American Red Cross is frequently running blood drives. But it's also important to remember that blood drives are platelet drives. And shortages become really bad during long weekends, civic holidays, bad weather or good weather where donors just don't come out to the clinic to donate. They get worse when volunteers just aren't practical. So Devastating natural disasters like we've seen with hurricanes uh, in Puerto Rico or most recently with the major forest fires in California really make platelet inventory, deplete platelet inventory or make it not available at all. We also need to appreciate that platelets, unlike other blood products, have a very short shelf life. So blood plasma is one such product that could be frozen and kept stored for years. Red blood cells you can refrigerate and store for 42 days. Platelets, after you screen them for disease, will store for just two days. 
So it's not surprising that platelet units are generally not available. And where they are available, they're really only available to people in first world countries uh, and in major cities within those countries, which means that millions of people in rural countries, uh, rural areas or third world countries just will never have access to platelets or at least uh, donor-derived platelets, so platelets not coming from us. One other thing that one needs to remember is that platelets come from people, and because they come from people, they're also inherently at risk of bacterial and viral contamination. This is how HIV, uh, hepatitis C, Zika virus enter our blood systems. And so the work that I was doing during my PhD studies with Dana Devine, who is the chief medical officer for Canadian Blood Services, was focused on ways of extending the lifespan of platelet units and really uh, better managing our platelet inventory. Now, it became pretty obvious throughout that work that extending the lifespan of a two-day platelet unit by an extra couple of days wasn't going to fundamentally solve the problem. To solve the problem, we needed to disconnect the product from the need for donors, and we could do that by making platelets ourselves. For the listeners who don't know, you explained that platelet is a blood product. Platelets are a blood product. Um, and you also talked about red blood cells um, and plasma. So could you just qu maybe quickly, if that's possible, explain what the different pieces of the blood are? Because um, I think, like you said earlier, um, a blood drive is really a platelet drive. So could you kind of break that down a little and explain what you mean by that? Absolutely. So we call it blood because it's, it's just easy, easier to refer to it as blood. But blood is actually a, uh, a liquid, which is called plasma, in which there's a number of cells. Uh, plasma uh, is a product in and of itself. You then have red blood cells, which are the cells in the blood that carry oxygen to the different tissues in your body. And that is harvested from blood as a product in and of itself. And lastly, there are also white blood cells. And white blood cells are the cells that drive your Im immunity. They're the cells that protect you from foreign diseases uh, or uh, pathogens. Now, the platelets are really the band-aids of the body. They're very small cells in the bloodstream that travel to areas of blood vessel damage or injury. And when they get there, they release clotting factors, which are stored in little pockets within the cell, we call secretory granules, to stop bleeding. They also promote healing by delivering growth factors to heal damaged blood vessels, but also make new blood vessels at sites of injury. Now, it's important to remember that platelets are critical in cancer treatment. When you're receiving radiation treatments or chemotherapy, patients lose the ability to make platelets. And losing the ability to make platelets means that you run the very serious risk of bleeding to death. And so you need platelet transfusions to stop that. This is also true when you're undergoing surgery. Uh, platelet transfusions are needed because they're the cells that stop you from bleeding. And they're also needed to help repair the tissues after a, a physician, a doctor has gone in uh, and, and performed a, uh, a treatment on you. There's another very important role platelets play in the body, which is uh, less talked about, and that is that platelets are natural cells that transport um, materials from one side of the body to the other. 
and they interact very closely with the white blood cells. As a result, platelets are ideal drug delivery vehicles, and this is something that we're doing at Platelet Biogenesis too. We've, for a very long time, known that platelets will naturally home to tumor cells. Tumors, in this regard, are essentially wounds that don't heal. And what tumors do is they coat themselves with platelets to hide from the immune system. Uh, the, the layer of platelets that surround a tumor hide the tumor from being recognized by these white blood cells in the circulation. And so the white blood cells don't know or are kept from attacking the cancer. Tumors also use the growth factors that are released by platelets to build a network of blood vessels around themselves, which help them feed themselves so they can grow and supports their metastasis or spreading throughout other parts of the body. And knowing this, we can actually start turning tumors strategy against itself by developing platelets that actually carry cancer-killing drugs. And so these platelets can deliver an anti-cancer drug to a tumor, boosting the efficacy of that drug, but also reducing the toxicity and autoimmune responses associated with these drugs in the body. Essentially what we're doing is we're engineering platelets and creating a new therapeutic modality, which can be thought of as a new tool in a doctor's arsenal to fight cancer. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, that was that's good. I think we covered why platelets are important delivering the cancer treatment. Um, so let's talk about how platelets are formed in the body. Um, could you could you tell us? So we'll we'll talk about the natural formation of platelets, and then maybe you could get into how you do it outside the body. Sure. Well, in the body, platelets are made in the bone marrow. Now, the bone marrow is the spongy tissue inside of bones that is filled with blood vessels. Now, within the bone marrow, there are these parent cells called megakaryocytes that actually line the blood vessels. And they extend into the blood vessels these long arms we call proplatelets that enter the blood flow. As they do, as they enter the blood flow, these proplatelets experience sheer forces of flowing blood, which triggers them to start budding off platelets into the bloodstream. Now, once in the bloodstream, platelets will circulate for about 10 days in a, in a human body. How we make platelets outside of the body is exactly by mimicking both the conditions and process of how platelets are made in the body. So we start with human adult stem cells. We then transform those human adult stem cells into specialized cells we call megakaryocytes, and then introduce those megakaryocytes into a patented bioreactor we developed that recreates the conditions of the bone marrow. Here, the megakaryocytes uh, experience those same sheer forces of flowing blood, and that force triggers the megakaryocytes to extend these long arms and bud off from those long arms the platelets that we can then harvest and collect for transfusion. What does the bioreactor look like? It looks like a... Imagine a rectangular box, like a tic-tac box, split down the middle by a porous membrane. And so megakaryocytes are fed into the top part of that box. 
the macariocytes line the porous membrane as they would the blood vessels in the body. And through the porous membrane and the lower, the lower channel of that TikTok box, we're exposing them to sheer forces that trigger the same sort of um, cues that these cells would experience in flowing blood. And so they extend through those pores, these long arms, and bud off into that lower channel, these platelets, which we then collect. Now, obviously, the bioreactor we're running now is much larger than a TikTok box, but the, the premise is the same. Hi, Think Research listeners. We're taking this break to let you know that Harvard Catalyst offers online courses and topics including grant writing, mixed methods research, and omics. Right now, we are accepting applications for our Introduction to Mixed Methods Research course. To apply and learn more about all the courses we offer, please visit catalyst.harvard.edu slash online learning. I wanted to kind of go back and get more of the story of forming the company because we've talked about the technology and like how that works. But before we started recording, when we were just talking about the impetus for the idea and um, you kind of got to that point where you said, I need to, I need to grow this outside of, uh, of Harvard Medical School. So um, maybe if we could go back and if you could talk about the early days of doing this research and tell us about how you kind of got to the point where you saw that you were limited in what you could do here and you really needed to spin out into a company. Absolutely. Well, where I got involved as a scientist has always been to advance an idea or, or, or something that would actually change the lives of people, make a difference. Platelets just happens to be an area, field, that I entered into very early because of exposure to some phenomenal mentors early in my career. And it became an area where I was able to see that there was a tremendous opportunity to, to save lives and that I could impart or, or, or bring to this field technology that would do so. So that, that is how I got started in the field of platelet biology. And through my work during my PhD in Dana's lab, and then the transition into to Harvard here as a postdoctoral fellow looking for one of the world's expo, experts in platelet production so that I could learn under them and better understand how platelets are made inside the body so that we could emulate that process outside of the body. Uh, that, that's what got me uh, to Harvard working under Joseph Italiano, who's one of the co-founders of the company, also an assistant professor, uh, sorry, uh, an associate professor here at Harvard Medical School. And in his lab, over 10 years of development, we essentially showed that we could make human platelets from adult stem cells, and that those platelets looked, behaved, and performed exactly the same as donor platelets do in multiple in vitro and in vivo models. Now, the, the work progressed really well, but it gets to a point, or it got to a point, where the university no longer became the best place to continue development of this technology. And I say that because universities are phenomenal institutes for basic research and discovery. But at this point, we had made the discoveries. We had shown that we could make human functional platelets from stem cells. And the next steps were in scaling the technology so that we could make more 
platelets to support the, the future clinical and commercial needs of, of the United States and the world, and also repeat the process using a, a clinically appropriate way of making these cells so that we can get regulatory approval and permission from regulatory bodies to put them into people, confirm that they're safe. And the university uh, is not the best place to do that sort of work because the work requires a tremendous amount of money, a tremendous amount of resources, and it, it shifts the focus from new discovery to process development. And so when we got to that stage in the work, the next steps inevitably were to move this technology into a company. Now, what happens most of the time with academic faculty here at Harvard and other institutions is that they will make this discovery and then make the technology available to a larger company that is well equipped to pick up the ball and run with it and do that development work that will bring that product to, to people. In our case, we were way too far ahead of the curve, for better or worse. And there didn't exist that large pharmaceutical company that could take in our technology and develop it. And so in my case, I was faced with this question of, do we stay here within the university and continue development at the pace that we can, uh, which will see this important discovery to people in maybe 30 or 40 years? Or do we try our hand at creating the company that doesn't yet exist and raising the resources and infrastructure through that translational vehicle, through the company, and then with that company doing the work that the company needs to do to bring this product to market in five years? And for me, uh, having entered the field, uh, really caring about seeing a product through to people, uh, it wasn't really a choice. Uh, it became more of a mission. And that that's essentially why we decided to create the company in the first place and, and the role that the company has played in the translation of this technology from that point on. Mm -hmm. And you described the the bioreactor as a, a tic-tac box. And obviously now you're scaling up the technology. You want to bring it to millions of people. So how do you take, how do you move from um, a tic-tac box sized bioreactor to um, a system that can create, I mean, what, what types of volumes are you talking about that you're trying to get to? It's a really good question, and it really speaks to a, a philosophical principle behind scale-up and engineering that the company has adopted. And that is that the design of the bioreactor has to be one that can continue to scale and support larger and larger production of platelets. And this is because the initial clinical trials that we'll need to run are obviously going to happen with small volumes in uh, a handful of people. But very quickly, once those clinical trials are successful, we'll need to be producing millions to support the, uh, the American need, and then hundreds of millions, if not billions, to support the world's needs. And so it can't be a design that we have to go back and redevelop every single time we hit one of these major milestones. It has to be one that can be scaled alongside the growth of the company. So with that principle in mind, the tic-tac box design, the, the very earliest version of our bioreactor, was designed in such a way that future scale-up could be done by simply making it bigger 
And so the next version became the same design principles in uh, uh, an object the size of a cell phone or, or phablet. And from that point on, one that could be run in parallel. And so the, the scale-up step after that became structuring our device so that multiple different phablet-sized bioreactors could be stacked one on top of the other and all run in parallel. And so that has gotten us the scale that we are today where we're running boxes. They look about the size of a um, bread box that have multiple blades, we call them, or um, versions of this phablet-sized bioreactor running in parallel within them. Now, as the company continues to scale, we'll continue to stack these boxes one on top of the other uh, in parallel to enable production of more platelets as are needed or fewer platelets as are needed as well. Now, to put all of this into context, one donor unit of platelets is about half a liter, 500 milliliters, and is about the size of a, a piece of paper and about the thickness of a um, textbook. And so a platelet bioreactor to support the production of one unit of platelets is going to look to be about the exact same size. So in the course of your graduate work in platelet biology and then your work um, here with Dr. Italiano, were there any moments where you thought, okay, I'm really onto this now, like any aha moments? There were, actually. But it took a few years to prove it out. So I'm not the first, we're certainly not the first to have tried to make platelets in the past. Uh, the need has been there for as long as we've been transfusing blood, which has been more than 100 years. But the, the challenges um, and the limitations of what had come before us have been making platelets, trying to make platelets in tissue culture dishes that were very artificial systems. And as a result, scientists were having a lot of trouble making platelets that looked like donor platelets or certainly making them at the scales or quantities that are needed to support clinical use. And when we came into the picture, when we started asking the question ourselves, one question that you know, kept, kept running through my mind was we shouldn't be revisiting the, the wheel. We shouldn't be trying to remake the wheel, redesign the wheel, because we have the example of the perfect platelet bioreactor standing right in front of us. Each of us make the equivalent of a transfusion unit of platelets every single day. And so instead of trying to build synthetic or artificial systems to make platelets, why don't we look to how we're already making platelets ourselves in the body and see if we could emulate that process outside of the human body. And uh, it was that principle, that sort of aha moment that led to the design principles behind the very first bioreactor. Now it turned out when we, we actually built it, that it worked. It worked surprisingly well, which, of course, in retrospect, it should have. Um, and the the design principles behind every aspect of what the company has done from that point on has been specifically to look at nature and not try to recreate a solution, but borrow a solution that is already working out really well. Because at the end of the day, we're not trying to create something new. We're trying to create something that already exists. And so taking cues from how it's already being developed 
in the body is a perfect way to reproduce um, outside of the body something that the body's already making. Mm-hmm. So you talked about using platelets to um, treat cancer. Where are you in that process? Have you demonstrated that this is effective? And um, I want to get into more of like the sort of the stage you're at with this technology. I know you said you're going into um, into human trials. Um, maybe you could talk about where you are with human trials and the sort of applications of the technology. I wish I could take credit for the idea of using platelets as drug delivery vehicles. The, the truth is that we've known that platelets can play this role in the body for 60 years. And in those 60 years, a lot of labs have shown that you can load platelets up with anti-cancer drugs that when infused, uh, injected into models of cancer, that the platelet will direct the what, what will home to the tumor and specifically release the contents of its secretory granules at the tumor. And that a drug transported by a platelet will impart a better therapeutic outcome and reduce toxicity and reduced immune response relative to the drug injected into the, the, the same cancer model. We've known this for a very long time. The, the challenge has not been, do platelets play this role? Or can platelets transporting drugs be more effective mm-hmm. than the drug alone? This is known. The, the question is, how do we leverage donor platelets in this capacity? And the, the problem is that donor platelets are just not available. Mm. Uh, as we've spoken about, they have a very short shelf life. There's almost certainly never enough platelets to meet standard transfusion needs. So basic, keep someone from bleeding on the operating table uh, or during cancer treatment, let alone uh, collecting them finding ways of loading them up with a drug that is uh, commercially uh, possible and then approving them to be safe to then put back into the patient. That Trying to do that in a narrow window of two days on a product that is mostly not available um, and certainly not available during emergencies when they're needed most becomes impossible. And so the It's an interesting um, issue because the limitation has not been that the product works. It Mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. The limitation has been in that it's just not commercially available. Now, what we've done um, is create a platform that enables the production of platelets. And so if we can make platelets disconnected from human volunteers donating platelets, then we can leverage those platelets for this application. And that's effectively what we're doing now. Got it. So the the idea that cancer drugs can be delivered by platelets and that it works is well established. It's just getting enough platelets to actually do it. In a commercially feasible manner. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, Do the platelets that you produce last longer than human-produced platelets? They should. So when platelets are made in the human body, uh, they will circulate for 10 days. Now, when you collect platelets from a donor what you're getting are a mixture of young platelets and old platelets that are in circulation. And so it's not surprising that the lifespan of a donor-derived platelet unit is about five days. 
Now, of those five days, we spend one day screening them for bacteria and viruses, a second day transporting them to the clinic where they're going to be transfused. So you end up with a product that on average ends up with about a two, two and a half day inventory shelf life. When we're making platelets, we're giving each one of our platelets a birthday so that coming out of our production line, every single one of our platelets has the full 10-day lifespan. By virtue of being made in a sterile environment under uh, clinically appropriate conditions, they're inherently safe. There is no inherent risk of bacteria or viruses that you need to screen for. And so you can see the full potential of that shelf life in the platelet product. It seems like, you know, it just seems like you're on the, at the very beginning of an incredibly huge opportunity or like world changing technology. What is it like? Do you think about that like in 10 years when you've proven all this technology? Because you said earlier, um, not if it works, but when or not if you prove it, but when you prove it, do you, what do you imagine the world looking like in 10 years when you've proven this technology and people are making platelets and bioreactors all over the world? What do you, do you think about that? I, I do. Um, it's the only thing that occupies my thoughts uh, day in, day out. Uh, it, uh, quite frankly, it's a better world. It's a world where more people survive uh, traumatic injury. It's a, it's a world where we don't lose our loved ones. Um, my challenge, though, is not um, only thinking about the good that we can do, which, which is substantial, but more importantly, how we get there. You're right. We're at the precipice of something uh, amazing, something great, something uh, potentially um, world-changing. But we have to take it through these next incremental steps to get there. And what that means for us is building out the technology and scaling it so we can go into clinical trials in a couple year years, working through those clinical trials to demonstrate that the manufacturing process produces cells that are safe primarily and functional in humans. And thereafter, building the infrastructure to be able to support what we all know is an in, is a huge world need. What other future applications or directions do you see for this type of technology? The future of this technology of making platelets is very much in the use of platelets for targeted diseases, designer platelets for targeted diseases. And it's important to remember that cancer is not the only thing platelets play a role in. It's actually just the start. Platelets are known to play very important roles in diabetic wound healing, in multiple sclerosis, in rheumatoid arthritis, uh, in multiple neurodegenerative diseases. And I should mention that platelets have the highest concentration of the protein associated with Alzheimer's disease of any cell in the body. So platelets are obviously playing roles in these diseases. Now, what we need to do and what we're building is a platform that will enable the production of platelets as a therapeutic in and of itself for bleeding, but also as a vehicle for the transport of drugs for these different applications. And as we do so, what we're doing 
is essentially facilitating developments in multiple different fields across multiple diseases and um, therapeutic challenges to leverage platelets as their vehicle by which they get that drug to the target of interest. And so I th there is a tremendous amount of potential there uh, and it begins with a single platelet and it begins with a platform that can support the manufacture of those platelets. Platelet biogenesis, as we mentioned, is, uh, is growing very fast and we're always looking for uh, really smart, really capable scientists that believe in, in this vision of making platelets available to the world and using platelets as drug delivery vehicles. So um, if uh, our listeners out there are uh, interested in what we're doing, they should definitely reach out because we're, we're always looking for more people to join the team. Great. Well, thank you, Dr. Thon. Thank you for coming in and sharing your experience and your research. This is a great conversation. Thank you. Next time on Think Research. You can actually get to restore a, a good functional capability by using these combinations of stimulations and pharmacotherapies and movement. Paolo Bonato of Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital discusses the biomechanics of wearable and robotic technology. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu slash think research.